And as always, I will try to live by uh, my favorite non-scriptural maxim. Blessed are the short-winded, for they shall be invited back. (laughs) I will try to live by that this morning. So I I chose Jonah to preach from this week. Uh, When Pastor Brian asked me to cover this week, uh, I was always happy to do so for our body. And then considering the text that the lectionary offer um, this week and looking at that as a resource, uh, I I decided against those and decided on Jonah because that's what I'm, I'm currently preaching through Jonah as a chaplain in the federal prison. So typically when I'm leading, you see me hang a guitar and blaze out. It's not that I'm some hired gun that does not enjoy fellowshipping with the body, but I leave straight from here and I'm going to go preach as I will today. And so um, this is what I've been digging into with uh, the, the prisoners uh, where I serve. And it's been most, uh, most blessed time for me, even with those guys as we held a baptism service uh, two weeks ago and had several candidates for baptism who professed faith and, and, and came forward, one of which was a Jewish convert. And actually, the only guy, um, if I can be charitable, um, one of the few gentlemen in, our, uh, in prison where he was conscientiously um, following what he says he believes, even though it was not a, uh, the Christian faith, he was not just, uh, it wasn't in his file because it was advantageous at the moment. Let me just say that. So someone who was actually devoutly following uh, uh, Judaism has, has, has seen that Jesus is Messiah. And it was beautiful to get to, to, to hear his profession of faith and, and get to baptize him. It was a beautiful picture. So let us look at the text today in Jonah. Most of us are, are probably pretty familiar with the, the story of Jonah in the Bible. And if we went to Sunday school, uh, we, we, we've probably heard about Jonah and the whale. Although it, it wasn't really a whale, we know it was a great fish, as the Bible says. Though I'm not sure how Jonah knew that the fish was great. I don't know if he happened to maybe ask the, the other fish in the school. And depending on how old you are, yeah, yeah they, they get better, don't worry. Uh, depending on your age, you might even be familiar with that. Veggie Tales uh, did the movie back in, I think, 2002. And you realize that that movie grossed. I was looking up. I was like, when did that even come out? That movie grossed over $500 million at the box office. A half a billion dollars for a, a story about Joan the Whale told by veggies. I, I was stunned. I was stunned at not just how old I am, that that was uh, 19 years ago, but also the fact that that made a half a billion dollars. Um, though I'm not, I'm not necessarily recommending that to you as an accurate retelling because, you know, um, Hollywood's not really known for systematic theology. Um, and, and I can't really tell you why I, I don't. There's nothing substantial that tells me tell, that I'm, why I'm telling you not to count on it other than there's just something fishy about it. Uh, <laughs> but I'm sure they meant whale. Okay. Seriously, Okay. Uh, bad jokes aside, uh, dad jokes, as my daughters would say, aside, um, you know, if I were to ask most of, uh, most of you about um, Jonah, our account would probably be something like this, that God told Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach to them, and, and that Jonah didn't want to go, so he caught a boat in the other direction, and then God sends a storm, the sailors throw Jonah overboard, Jonah repents and obeys, and then Jonah warns Nineveh, they repent, Happy ending. 
they all live happily ever after. But that's, that's a real nice and neat tale uh, that we could probably make it on the Hallmark Channel or, or maybe even could have gotten a Netflix series that we could have been binge-watched last year during COVID. But unfortunately, it's just not the biblical account of Jonah. It's, it's far too truncated, and the biblical account of Jonah is, is complicated. It's complicated, but very full of, 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 of sovereignty and mercy of God. It is full of God's sovereignty and mercy. And, and prior to the text that we're looking at today, we, we've learned that, that God has, has made that very clear, in that even in Jonah's disobedience, he shows his sovereign mercy, not just to Jonah, but to the sailors around him who, who, who actually, um, when, when Jonah tells them, when they encountered the power of Yahweh, they even began to worship. Yahweh showed that sovereign mercy even in Jonah's disobedience. And, and, and part of the story that I want to focus on today is how God uses unlikely story and unwilling men to reveal his uncomfortable grace. And we're given a rather important snapshot of that in the opening chapter or in the opening verse today of, of an unlikely story in, in 117 when he just is recapping briefly. It says that, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and nights. A very good summary statement. You notice that Jonah kind of like, he just says, Oh yeah, God appointed this fish and now I was in the belly. You know, Jonah kind of passed over his disobedience on that. I just, pretty, pretty um, important details you're leaving out there, Jonah. Not that we do stuff like that at all. We, we typically would be very full of how we've gotten ourselves into trouble, and then we thank the Lord. But no, Jonah just passed by that and, and said, oh yeah, the Lord appointed this fish. And as I consider Jonah recording this event much later in life, uh, or at least uh, certainly some time had passed, I, I can't help but, but ask what was going through Jonah's mind. That time had passed and obviously any sight or sound or, or smell that would have happened to Jonah to, to validate this story was probably passed. This, this whopper of a fish story, basically he had no proof of at this point. By the time he's recording this, he, he's... All those things that would have faded, whether it discolored his skin or however he may have changed his appearance, he had no proof of the story he's writing, save maybe the sailors or people who saw him vomited out. But Jonah's recording this later. And there's no really verification. And having to record this, even though inspired by the Holy Spirit, I can't help but think that, that Jonah would have wrestled at whether people would have believed his story or not. Or at least that maybe he was embellishing a little bit. And, and some today actually chalk the story of Jonah up to, to the fact that this must be allegory. Because it's too fanciful to be historical. But, but Jesus actually uses this in the, in the Gospels, and it is firmly rooted in both history and fact. Furthermore, here's the deal. If Jonah had been embellishing his fish story, he did it in a way completely contrary to how most of us would have embellished. See, when we lie, we, we tend to make us the hero. But when we read the whole book, we know that there's no part where Jonah is the hero. Not a single part where Jonah is the hero. 
And that, again, is an example of God using unlikely story to show His grace. If we look back at uh, chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, uh, the beginning of the book, he says, Now the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, where he paid the fare and went down onto it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. And guys, if I'm writing this and embellishing or, or lying about the details, I'm not painting myself as the rebel in the first three verses of the book about me that bears my name. If I'm writing it to be and being dishonest in any way, you think I'm, or, or you, are you going to lie to make yourself look worse in the beginning of the book? Yet again, we see this was, was, was demonstrated even in cha- uh, verse 1, chapter 9 and 10. Uh, chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. We see, and he said to them, after, this is after they've, they've sorted out that this is something that's going wrong, this is a supernatural storm. He says to them, I am a Hebrew. This is after the lots fell to, to Jonah that he was responsible. He said, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing the presence of the Lord because he told them. See, Jonah revealed who he was to them. He accurately declared who God was, who Yahweh was. And then he has to recount in his book his own foolish rebellion. See, he rightly declared that Yahweh is the God of the land and the sea. And at the same time, he, ha- he told that he was trying to flee from the presence of this sovereign creator of land and sea. See, that's not how we would lie about this. That's not how we would make a story better. We typically don't, aren't that, contra- we aren't contradictory in that way. And now, see, when I think about this, I don't know if Jonah was just thick-headed or if he happened to be a blonde or maybe he went to public school. But, but, but I, th- I think the reason he tells it this way, and he's, he, he recounts it truthfully because he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, but he behaves in this way because, unfortunately, he's like me and he's like you in that even as Christians, as followers of God who read our Bibles and, and we can make right profession, we can be orthodox in the essentials of our faith, we do really dumb stuff to be theological about it. We do real dumb stuff sometimes. All too often, our, uh, my doctrine will be right, but my practice is wrong. Or at best, it's radically inconsistent. Far too often, church, we find ourselves in difficulty or distress, normally of our own making, because we have left the refuge of God's goodness. But friends, aren't you glad that God uses unlikely stories in our lives to show His mercy, not because of our deserving it, but because He is so gracious? See, I can remember times, I can remember times when I have run from Him. And he didn't just show me grace after the fact. He didn't just show me mercy when I finally came to the end of myself. He showed me grace and mercy in the midst of it. 
And that's just the kind of unlikely story that God uses, that God writes, and that God works in. Not ones where we did everything right or perfect and earned his favor, but the ones where he redeems rebels and he gets the glory. And I know I'm probably the only one here that's ever run away from God and towards grievous sin. Perhaps you just run, or perhaps you know somebody who has run from God, and it's just, well, you know, I don't want to love my neighbor. I don't want to go cook a meal to that person. Even though I feel the Lord leading me to do that, I'll, I'll, I'll run from him. Or maybe it's just, you know, I know I really would, I know I could serve that Sunday school class, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run from you. Or I'm going to pick something. Pick those small things that the Lord will lay on your heart. And we run from Him. Whether it's grievous sin or small things, God works in those unlikely situations to shape us and change us. But we run. And in such moments, we are, I am like Jonah. I'm an unwilling man or woman. Not I, but we. We are either unwilling men or women that after knowing a measure of God's goodness and truth, we foolishly run. But even in our disobedience, God is so gracious, not only to us, but thankfully to those around us who we inevitably harm, who we inevitably cause pain, who we inevitably hurt in our sins. And I'm so thankful that God can use those situations. I'm thankful that God can, and I I pray that He will or will continue to use my own failings with my children, my in my sinless imperfection of fathering where I lose my temper and I will commit sin against my kids. I pray that God will use that even as a means of grace in their life. That they would slowly begin to see me repent of that sin and and be sanctified by God's grace and, and grow in that area so that they might see their father being sanctified and see that as a means of grace to them. That God would, that they would be like the sailors. That, yeah, when dad is that raging sea, perhaps that also can be a, a work of grace, a, a showing of God's power that. Maybe dad doesn't get angry as much anymore. Maybe dad doesn't lose it even when he is angry as much. Maybe, maybe when even in my sin and I, I, I wrestle with that, that God would use, he would grant repentance and use those times to, to in some way use that setting the same way he used the setting for the sailors where God was, bringing, uh, was doing something in Jonah's life, and these guys were just along for the ride. Maybe as God is pricking my heart for the sin of, of, of rage and, and being angered at my children and responding in wrath, perhaps God, in my sin, changing me, showing His grace and His judgment to me, can also be showing His grace to my kids as I slowly am being sanctified by His grace. And guess what? They didn't sign up for it, but they're along for the ride like the sailors. But in those moments, just like the sailors, eventually Jonah, eventually Jonah worshipped. And that unwilling, the unwilling man named Jonah that day worships as well. Let's look at verse, chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out, 
to the Lord out of my distress. And he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried and you heard my voice for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. See, eventually Jonah worships as well. It's interesting, though, as we read Jonah's prayer in light of the rest of the book, it's, it's abundantly clear to me that it's complicated. Jonah, uh, jo- Jonah, Jonah doesn't want God to be merciful to Nineveh. He got angry. He showed anger towards God for, for, having, for, for having mercy on them. And then he even pities a plant at the end of the, the book. That was providing him shade. He pities a plant, the Bible, but, but he has no pity for the Ninevites. It's complicated in that I think, I think that Jonah is sincere as he is he's coming to a point of repentance. God is doing something in Jonah. He's, he's, he's saying, I've cried out to the Lord in my distress. And, and if I'm honest, there are times I've read Jonah where I really thought Jonah didn't mean it that this was a prayer of convenience. But as I've studied through this, I don't think we can discount the prayer to God as as insincere. It really sounds like God is working in Jonah's life. Like he's working in his heart to bring true repentance. And the fact is that this is just one more way that we're like Jonah. We are complicated. We are messy. And we are inconsistent sinners. If we think about that, what Jonah just said, he said that you, speaking to Yahweh, he says, you cast me down, that your waves and billows are over my head, and that I am driven away. The word there, uh, that he's using language for, for banishment and exile, as we've been learning all about exile, or divorce even. He's using language that this is what God was doing to him. Not that he, he doesn't say, well, I ran, I, 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 I ran this and I'm just taking my medicine. No, he's saying you did this to me, God. This is not the, the devil doing something. This is not even natural consequences, but rather it is divinely purposed actions. And Jonah sees that plainly as he writes this. He looks back and he sees God working. But then what do we see in the rest of chapter uh, of verse 4? We hear the turning. This is why I believe it's sincere. He said, yet, then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet, I shall again look upon your holy temple. Yet. It's a beautiful turning. A beautiful little word that we see here. He he says, I shall look again at your whole temple. This unwilling man who is doing everything to flee from Yahweh. Everything. He was going the opposite way. It says he was on his way to Tarshish. If you, ancient archaeology, it's, it's almost as far as he could go, the known world at that time, out through the Straits of Gibraltar. And here he is, he caught a, he caught a boat on the coast of Israel, and he's trying to exit the Mediterranean. Might as well have been the end of the world. Fleeing in disobedience. And yet, this unwilling man who is willing to go to the end of the earth and is disobedient has suddenly remembered something of immense value. He began to see that the problem was in himself. He couldn't run far enough. The problem was within himself. The problem is within us. Not what God was doing in the fish or was allowing to take place. 
It was within. It was within. The problem was with us, not what God was allowing to do or to go through. Rather, the greater and more ultimate danger was not in the fish. The greater and more ultimate consequential danger is actually from within, not from the sea or the fish. Let's read verse 5 through 8, where he says, he's recounting this, and he's repenting. He's saying, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounds me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. He's at the bottom of the sea, he's saying. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you. Into your holy temple, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope and of steadfast love. He remembers these things when in the depths. And in these moments that Jonah recounts God's redeeming work and now longs more than ever for the presence of Yahweh, where he once fled, he was trying to flee the presence of Yahweh. Now he's saying, I want to be in your holy temple. I'm looking towards the holy temple, even though he's in the depths, he says. That is no longer a man, an unwilling man that has fled the presence of Yahweh, but someone who is eagerly seeking the help of Yahweh, eagerly seeking to worship in the holy temple. He's looking to the holy of temple of God to taste his goodness. You know, as I, as I think back to the time when we were not meeting for corporate worship and when we finally got to, to come back, I remember the, 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 the longing and I remember the joy, the first corporate worship time we had together. And while I know that must have paled in comparison, it does give me a little taste of of the longing Jonah must have felt, even though ours may not have been uh, the same, but that sort of longing to be in the place where God's people meet, where we experience the presence of God with his people. I imagine that was just a taste of what Jonah was feeling, that hunger to be in the presence of Yahweh. He's looking for that holy temple experience. He's hungry for true worship and reminds us that the vain idols in this world and in our heart only leave us hopeless. And it's as if he recalls the words of the psalmist about idols even. I think that that has a lot to do with his sin in, in Psalm 115 and in 135. I'm not going to go to it. It, it. it uses the same language. It says that they have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. And recalling these words, I think he must have realized that he had been acting just like that. He had been acting as if those things were true of Yahweh, his God. When in his own foolish rebellion, he, could, he thought he could flee God's presence like he, couldn't, like, like he wouldn't be able to see. And, and how often do we, with our own deeds, profess something that our, our doctrine is right on, but our lives are con- live, live, live in contradiction to that? How often do what we say and what we do preach different and make different professions? See, Calvin's 
quote was spot on when he says that, that, that the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. And, and Jonah has proven that. He's, he's realized that he's, thought, he's acted as if what the psalmist says about idols was true of Yahweh. He's, he's acted just like that. And, and then he talks about the fact that idols cannot save us. But rather they only remove the hope of salvation. And it's, it's so easy for us, I think, in modern context, especially in modern evangelicalism, to scoff at the historical idea of idolatry. The fact that there's this little stone that, or this shrine you're going to go to. But we, while scoffing, are so quick to manufacture our own idols. With a speed, I don't think the historic world would even be able to keep close with us. Now, not with silver or gold or even stone do we build idols, and we don't go down to the valley of Van Hinnom to to throw our children and sacrifice them. No. But with the help of Silicon Valley and all the technological advances that we've made, our idol factories are more technologically advanced to build not only more idols, but idols that are far more ubiquitous and dangerous and socially acceptable. Be they pride or greed, self-righteousness, envy, or lust even. See, all these idols can be neatly hidden in our search histories that just go away with a swipe of a button. Or they're how we talk online to other believers, that we can delete a comment. Or we can justify, oh, you misread me. See, those are the idols that we tend to not make. Oh, those aren't idols. That's just, I'm just struggling with that. Or heck, it was recently Amazon Prime Day. <laughs> Look, I'm trying to catch the lightning deals too. And who doesn't love a smiling box on your doorstep when you get home? I, I, <laughs> there is nothing that brings... I don't think UPS men have ever been as loved since the advent of Amazon. I was joking about that yesterday with Meg. I said, you know, I think I want to quit and become an, the UPS driver. Because no one is ever mad to see him. No one is ever mad to see the UPS guy, unless you know divorce papers are coming or something. I don't know. But typically, no one's ever mad to see the delivery truck driver. And then we see us running to our idols, just like Jonah. We, we run to either a false image of God or an image of a false God. See, we too are just like Jonah. We're unwilling men. We are unwilling to, 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 to live in accordance with God has said about himself and said how we ought to live. Father, forgive us. And as as Jonah echoes the Psalms, all, like we, I can't help but think he was also thinking of, of perhaps Psalm 118 as well. Verses 1 through 5. It, it, it's, it feels like he had just finished thinking about this when he wrote his book. He says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Amen. We love that. Let Israel say, His steadfast love endures forever. Amen. Let the house of Aaron say, His steadfast love endures forever. We write songs now about this. Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. But here's where we see Jonah echoing it. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord, 
and the Lord answered me and set me free. It's as if he plucked the psalm. It's it's as if he, considering his false worship and considering how Yahweh saves, that he was having the first ever submarine, submarine psalm thing. Or below the ocean, he, when, 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 when God granting true repentance to Jonah's heart, he began to respond the only way he could with the Psalms. With the Psalms being applied to his life. When faced with the truth of God, he had to respond. That's really how we should do our worship too. When we gather, we ought to be so confronted with the truth of God that we respond in worship. We should resolve like Jonah did in Psalm uh, in 2, chapter, verse 9, that when we're faced with God's goodness, this is how we should respond. Even in our sin and our rebellion, when we come to the end of ourselves, this is how we ought to respond. That, But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay Salvation belongs to the Lord. That's how we ought to respond when we gather. We ought to be so confronted and reminded with the truths of God from His Word that that we respond like that, that we rejoice the way Jonah does, and that we even restate what we know is true of God. That's why I love when we do corporate confessions. It's that we are all saying this is what we agree this is what we believe that God has revealed to us about himself. And, and for me, I'm saying it because I need to be reminded of it. And I want to more, more consistently live those truths out. But our worship should be so filled with scripture that an outsider, if they were to wander in, even whether it's the musical portion or even the announcements, that they, should, they would receive enough truth of God's word where they could be drawn and that God might grant repentance and, and that they might likewise respond to his grace. And then we're then told in, in verse 10 that after all this, the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomit, vomited Jonah out onto dry land. Church, this is good news. Even though it's uncomfortable, this is an uncomfortable grace when we consider about Jonah's situation. Not only in the story of Jonah, but in each of our lives, as, as God continues to be patient with rebel sinners as you and I, not willing to let us remain in these seasons of pleasurable sin. So he will afflict us. You'll get a lot of amens when we say stuff like that. But he, he will afflict us, and, and we, like Jonah, we need to learn to respond like Jonah did. That we will not just say, okay, God, I tap out, but I will praise you. I will offer sacrifices because I know that salvation belongs to you. We should have a psalm sing when confronted with our sin. When we find ourselves in rebellion, we should pray that the Spirit would bring the psalms to our hearts. That we might also repent and rejoice and restate what God has declared about himself. That is how we ought to respond to the judgment of God in our life. Because guess what? Likewise with Jonah, his judgment was also his salvation. Yes, he was undergoing problems that he he contributed to in that he put himself in the situation. But it says that God prepared that fish 
and sent him to it. Like Jonah, we must actually praise God for that. Because the great fish, and much like in our lives, whatever your, the analog for you would be, the, the problem situation, but in Jonah's life it was the great fish, was actually a great grace from God, and it saved him from the sea. And I'm going to speculate that being in a fish for three days was quite uncomfortable. I'm, I'm, I'm safe. I feel like I'm safe speculating that on, on the text does not tell me that Jonah left a bad Yelp review, but I'm going to assume he did. I'm going to assume that there was no Wi-Fi and no, no complimentary continental breakfast. But I can imagine that being in there was quite distasteful and displeasurable. And I can't imagine what stomach acid must have done to his body for three days. And there are people who speculate the, the physical change that would have taken place. And I, I'm certain it would have been quite uncomfortable. But that fish was Jonah's salvation from the sea. Salvation often comes in uncomfortable packages. Salvation often comes dressed like judgment even. Dressed looking like judgment when we sin, but it saves nonetheless. That's the case with Jonah's fish. Not only when we sin, but like the others around, with others around us, like with the sailors. We see that they were just along for the ride with Jonah. They were not following God, but they also, they weren't an open, defiant rebellion. Nothing from any other day prior to Jonah. But his disobedience affected them. The storm was just as bad and turbulent for them, or maybe even more so considering Jonah was asleep in the bottom of the boat. And these guys, skilled sailors, were at their wits' end. Had they sinned against God? No. Jonah was... The, the, the storm was not their judgment upon them. It was, for, it was sent because of Jonah's sin. And yet, it, it radically impacted their life. But it was also their salvation. Because we, we know that they actually responded to God's uncomfortable grace to them. And they worshiped God, the true God. That day it says that they worshiped the true God and made sacrifices to Him. And, and when we see Him working in the life of another, maybe even in judgment or in wrath or consequences that impact our lives, when we see others sin, we ought to ask the Lord how can I learn from this? How can I more rightly worship you? Because our sin doesn't just impact us, unfortunately. And then possibly the, um, the most uncomfortable grace for me as I considered this text today is how much I am like Jonah. The story of Jonah itself is... is is an uncomfortable grace for me because personally, I, if I'm honest with myself and transparent, I and I suspect some of you or most of you or all of you are more like Jonah than we would like. And, and me personally, I'm ashamed of that. And, and let me explain. The reason I say I'm more like him than I wish I was is because I'm inconsistent. I'm proud. I don't love my neighbor. I don't love my enemies as I ought we confessed it today. I don't say or do or see things the way God said to, 
but I got my doctrine right. I believe the right stuff. I say the right stuff. I say I believe the right stuff. I read the right book. But I don't live consistently with it. And while I want to just write Jonah off and be like, oh, see, he was an anti-hero and he wasn't really the good guy of the story. But guess what? We see repentance. It's, it's complicated. I wish it wasn't. I wish, I wish Jonah's story wasn't complicated because I wish my life wasn't complicated. I wish I was able just to, to have true faith and repentance and never stray and never mess up. And, 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 and unfortunately, that's just not the case. And it's uncomfortable to have to say, yeah, it, it is. It's complicated. But you know what's not complicated? God used it. God used Jonah even in his complicatedness. And that's good news for you and me, brothers and sisters, is because God uses even our messed up complicatedness, even our sinful messes, God uses. God uses us when we're, even when we're, we're rebelling against them and messing up. We don't know if there are people who are like the sailors in our lives, that God is showing something to. And God didn't just leave Jonah out on the, in the ocean. He didn't just leave him in a turbulent sea. And he doesn't do that to us. God uses those unlikely men in uncomfortable situations to show his grace to us even in our complicatedness he both shows his grace and he uses us we know later in chapter four more complication jonah goes outside the city and he eventually even scolds god he 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 is angry with god he said i he basically says i knew you were going to do this before i even left my my country i knew you would do this i knew and then he quotes exodus an excerpt from exodus where he even says like i know that you are a god who is who is showing mercy and relenting in wrath and as if it's a bad thing he's going after god but guess what? He was even doing it with right doctrine. He was saying the things that God said about himself, but he was saying it as if it was a bad thing. And we see Jonah not having pity on them, but rather getting angry at God for showing mercy to them. He's outside the city. And he is being orthodox in his... He's quoting scripture to God as if it were a bad thing that God was being merciful and simultaneously pitying that plant. That was providing him shade. And see, contrast that with Jesus, though. Who, in Matthew 23, was outside the city of Jerusalem. Knowing that judgment was coming to them. And Jesus weeps. He says, because they did not know the time of their visitation. That's an interesting contrast between Jonah and Jesus. I think um, Tim Keller has a great, uh, he has a book called The Prodigal Prophet. And, and I loved this excerpt that I read from it. It said, Jonah did not weep over the city, but Jesus, the true prophet, did. Here is a perfect heart, perfect and generous love, not excusing, not harshly condemning. And Jesus did not merely weep for us. He died for us. Jonah went outside the city hoping to witness its condemnation, but Jesus Christ went outside the city to die on a cross to accomplish its salvation. Praise God for that. And church, all these uncomfortable graces I was talking about, 
are overshadowed by the grace provided to us by the better Jonah, by Jesus. I I would urge each person here today, whether for the um, first time or the thousandth time, not to ignore or reject or delay God's gracious visitation. Though sometimes it is uncomfortable, perhaps we've been like that sailor where other people's sin was negatively impacting our lives. Or perhaps we've been a Jonah who's been running in outright rebellion. Or perhaps we've just been like Jonah in our inconsistency with what we say we believe about God. Living in an inconsistent manner. And if the Spirit is drawing us, you, me, to repent, like I said, for the first time, or the thousandth time, I would encourage you not to, to run any longer, but rather run to the grace of God and speak to either Pastor Brian or one of the elders or, or honestly any Christian that you know is faithfully pursuing the things of God. Because unfortunately the Lord does not draw us. I don't know, at least with me, the Lord has not drawn me on my timeline. I don't think he worked on Jonah's timeline either. But the Lord rarely draws us or works in our lives on our timeline or because of our values or desires or certainly not because of our worth. But rather in spite of them, in spite of all those things, in spite of my timing, the way I feel and think about things, and certainly not because of my worth. But I wish that, you know, I kind of wish that had been the case at times. I might feel better if the Lord moved when it was convenient. My flesh would certainly be more uh, comfortable if God needed me to contribute something. If I would, I would feel a lot better off if I knew I met God halfway. I might feel like I'm bringing something to this negotiation when I, okay, Lord, yes, you, you do your thing and I'll do mine and we'll call it even Stevens. I would, my, my pride would enjoy that a lot more. But unfortunately... That's just not the case. Because I'm a prideful man who doesn't want to be reliant, wholly reliant upon, uh, upon the Lord. I, 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 like Jonah, don't want to rely on him. I don't want to trust his word. I don't want to love my enemies. And I certainly don't want to say, always, I don't always feel like saying that salvation belongs to the Lord when I am faced with judgment. But I am helpless to do otherwise when I consider his presence, when I remember his presence and his goodness there. See, Jesus was the better Jonah who, rather than fleeing discomfort like Jonah did, he said, Father, not my will, but thine be done in the garden. And this too is an uncomfortable grace for us. That truth is uncomfortable when we consider that not, in, not just was it uncomfortable for him to go to the cross. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about it is uncomfortable for my flesh to know that I can do nothing. I can do nothing to earn it. It's uncomfortable to know that he provides a grace so effective and so exhaustive for his people that we can do nothing but lament in our need for it while simultaneously rejoicing in our portion of it. Let us pray. Father, I I thank you for using messy, complicated people like Jonah. Father, I thank you that while we were even hostile to you, 
You did not leave us in our wretched estate, Father, but you sent uncomfortable grace to us. Father, I ask that you would send your spirit to draw us each today in whatever level of rebellion or idolatry we find ourselves and help us rely on the message that salvation belongs to you in whatever way you bring it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.